0: Well, good morning, Imago. I almost said sunrise because I'm used to that, but good morning, Imago. It's great to be back with you. Excuse me as I get kind of set up here. You know Greg's teaching when the props come out, so let's uh, get all set up. You know, I'm, I am so excited just to be here with you guys. Um, I love getting this opportunity to share uh, with Imago when Pastor Carlos uh, takes uh, leave of some kind. Uh, I love it when I get the phone call, and he's like, "Hey, can you fill in?" I'm, it's always a quick yes if possible. So um, so happy to be here. Uh, happy to see you guys in church. and I just want to again extend my uh, welcome to everyone who's plugging in online. Um, it's amazing that we live in a time where we can do that, where we can be a community both here, and distance. It's kind of similar to the church when we first started after, um, you know, Stephen's death. Uh, everyone was scattered and, and everyone was separated, but yet they were still united in their heart because of what Jesus has done. And so we're still living in that kind of time. And I think that's really cool uh, to have that experience. So um, we're going to be jumping in, we're going to be all over the place. And, uh, you know, a couple. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's been about two years now that I was on a road trip with um, a family member. And as we were going, uh, we were having one of these, like, rare moments, at least with my family, we were actually having a spiritual conversation. Because uh, most of my family are not believers. They're either uh, not a believer or they're just estranged from the church, estranged from God. And so we were having this cool moment where we're talking about where this family member was in their walk with God. And I was like, man, thank you, God. This is such a cool moment. And uh, as we were having this conversation, they were kind of sharing that, uh, you know, they kind of see themselves in this place where they are a good person. You know, they're a good person. Um, They don't really sin. Uh, a lot, but, uh, you know, and they, they kind of think that that's going to be good enough as far as their walk with God, that they'll make it to heaven, that they'll be okay, and so um, I, I was thinking about how we can sometimes have that idea in our head, and, and I was doing a little research, um, and uh, we, I want to throw up two statements up onto the screen here in a minute, uh, and, it, and it's around this idea of sin, uh, of how we treat our sin, how we see ourselves. And so uh, there's an organization that does a, uh, a national study uh, of kind of where Christians are at. the will churches, non-Christians, and all that. Um, it's called the State of Theology. Um, you can look these up on their website. And so they have these two statements. It says, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. That was kind of the, the gist of what I was getting from my family member. Uh, and then the second statement, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Just a moment, look at those two statements, and then I, I would invite you to kind of think about where you're at with that. Like, what would, do you agree? Do you disagree? That's what this poll was, is where people are at on this. And so, um, you know, do, do you agree that, you know, everyone sins a little, but people are good by nature? Do you disagree with that statement? What about uh, even the smallest sin deserves uh, damnation. Do you agree with that? Disagree? Uh, and, and don't worry, there's no test at the end of this. I'm not going to quiz you on your way out. You know, that's not the point of this. My point is for us to look at Scripture and what God has to say about these things so that we can uh, let Scripture transform our hearts and our thinking and our theology. So, uh, what's interesting about these two things is they're actually trending in two different directions here in our nation. Uh, the statement, everyone sins a little, but uh, for the most part, uh, we are good by nature is actually decreasing by popularity in our nation. People don't believe that. They're disagreeing with that statement. Uh, that's actually gone down in the last four years by 8%. Um, and I think that when I think of, see that, I, I think of two things. One is, yeah, that kind of makes sense when you look at where we've been as a nation uh, for the last couple years. It seems like things have kind of gotten tense, maybe a little bit. Um, things have maybe got a little divided in, um, and so it would make sense that maybe now more than, uh, you know, in a bit, uh, people are looking at each other and saying, yeah, we're not all good. You know, maybe maybe some people are good, some people aren't. I think that's just naturally something that we're doing. And, and the, the second thing and the more important thing is the fact that scripturally, uh, as we look at God's word, we would see that that, that is uh, false. That No, no, everyone sins a little. No, everyone sins a lot. And uh, most people are not good by nature is what scripture tells us. And where I want us to turn to, to look at that is actually right at the beginning, Genesis 131. Uh, as It talks about the creation of uh, everything. God is uh, speaking uh, or sharing what's kind of going on. And it says after he created everything the, and he created human beings, he said at the end of it all that it was very good. So from that, we can take that when God created humanity, that what? That we were very good by nature. That should have been how we were. So in in that case, yeah, we would have just been good by nature. And, and then it goes even further. In Genesis 2, uh, it talks about this great relationship that Adam had with God. Uh, it talks about them going around and, and Adam getting to name all the, the animals that God created. And it's just like, man, that would have taken some time, first of all. I mean, I was thinking about the fact that I don't know if I can even go to, like, San Diego Zoo and see all the animals, let alone get to name all the animals of the world, right? So this would have been something that would have taken time. And, and so Adam and God are hanging out. And and then he recognizes, Adam recognizes that he doesn't have a partner, right, in, in, that, in Genesis 2. And then God creates Eve. And at the end of that, again, it says that things were very good. It was perfect. But as many of us know, Genesis 3 is right around the corner. And that's when things get messed up. Genesis 3, 6 says that when the woman... Uh, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See, so there was this tree where there was a fruit of good and evil, and and they were instructed not to eat of this, and, and then they did. But I want us to catch why they did. It wasn't just that they were like, oh, I'm bored, let's do this. It was that they wanted to gain something from it. They wanted to gain wisdom. They wanted to gain knowledge. They wanted to be able to judge for themselves what is good and what is evil. And what's interesting about that is all they were really getting from this was the understanding of what evil was. Because they already knew what good was. They just didn't quite understand that. They took that for granted. Say so they no longer wanted to rely on God to be the judge between good and evil. They themselves wanted to be the judge. They wanted to take that power onto themselves. And so sin enters our world because of this. And you see this, uh, their, their first judgment that they make on themselves is that, oh, well, we have sinned, we are naked, and, and they, they hide, and they hide from God. And as he calls out to them and says, where are you, he, they uh, quickly lie and shift blame and all of those things that we still do today. When someone points out something you've done, you're like, no, 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 no it wasn't me. Look over here, right? Because uh, God goes to Adam first and he says, you know, hey, wh- why did you do this? And he said, it wasn't me, it was that woman you gave me. So technically, I mean, you gave her to me, so it's kind of your fault too, right, God? And then the woman looks at God and says, no, it wasn't me, it was, it was that snake you created. Uh, he tricked me. Yeah, that, that's whose fault it was. It wasn't my fault. And then the snake just kind of just is like... Okay, you know, <laughs> he, didn't have a, uh, he doesn't have a leg to stand on, which is why I don't have legs. Um, that was totally a dad joke. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, that was not written either. I was Pretty proud of that. Um, I'll write that later. What's amazing is that's where they go. That's their natural, uh, their judgment. And uh, it continues on. It's not just them. Genesis four. It talks about the, this, these two brothers. That when I was reading this story in Genesis uh, four, I, I, I don't know for whatever reason, I never really realized that these two brothers have a uh, interesting relationship with God. Uh, they they are not far from Him. In fact, it says when they presented their offering, God was there with Him, and it says that uh, Abel's. Uh, uh, God received his uh, sacrifice uh, with gratefulness uh, with favor, and Cain he rejected and and so it doesn 't necessarily say why he rejected, but I think we get some pretty uh, good clues in verse six and seven, which we 'll read here in a second. Um, but it doesn't really say why he, he rejected him. I don't think, I've heard before, like, oh, well, you know, Cain brought uh, fruits and veggies and, and Abel brought, you know, meat. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I'm sure God's a meat eater. You know, maybe he would appreciate that. I always appreciate a good steak more than a salad. Um, but I don't think that's the reason why it was rejected. It says here in Genesis 4, 6 through 7, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So what God's saying to Cain is that your heart's not in the right place. That your heart is not where where it is meant to be to worship me. You're, you're, you brought this offering, but you're not connected with me. And I think that that's something that we should take note of as Christians today. Listen, I don't care how great, I mean, Imago's band is amazing. I always love coming and worshiping with this team. But I got to tell you, as amazing as all of them are, if their heart's not right with God, if they're not working on things, it doesn't mean they have to be perfect, but if they are, have active sin in their life, I don't care how good you sound, your worship sucks. Because it's not about the sounds that are coming out of your mouth, it's about the motivations of your heart, it's where you're at. And that's not just for the worship team, that's for anyone who does anything for God. Your prayer life, your service life, anything, your gifts, even as you give money, where is your motivations, where is your heart? That's what God is focusing on. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do. I mean, if, if the whole band couldn't be up here, God would present another worship band because he has a slew of uh, abilities to, to make his church move forward. If, if you stop giving because your heart's not right, well, don't worry, God's got a good amount of money. I mean, it talks about in Revelations that he has lined the streets with gold. I mean, that's, that's pretty extra, right? <laughs> that's a lot. I, I think that that's what we need to take heart of. Where is my motivation as I do whatever I'm doing? And it says that Cain didn't follow God's instructions. Verse 8, it says that now Cain said to his brother uh, Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain doesn't conquer his sin. Cain can't contain it. He lets it consume him, and it leads him to murder. And this just shows us that sin has entered our, our, the human uh, experience. It has it is, it is, uh, entered all of our lives. We are all in, uh, now at a place where sin has just corrupted our hearts. And before we judge Cain too much, it's important for us to understand that each one of us are in that same place. Where we uh, let sin take over our life. You know, the God's instruction to Cain is the same as that he says to us. He says, uh, uh, sin is crouching at our door. It desires to have us, but we must rule over it. But many of us fail just like Cain. So before we judge him, we should really look at ourselves. So we are not good by nature. We are sinners by nature. We are born with a natural desire to sin. The second statement that we, we were looking at, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Uh, that one is actually gaining in popularity as far as a belief uh, it is around sixty six percent of the nation who take this uh, this uh, survey say that they believe no uh, that, i don 't believe that i don 't think the smallest thing. I think the sin many of us uh, can think this idea where sin is graded on a curve. You know, as long as you're not like the extreme bads, you know, as long as you're not one of those types of people, whatever those types of people are in your head, uh, as long as I'm not there, then I'm good. As long as I'm staying all right. You know, I go to church once in a while and you, you, whatever things you use to justify. Uh, as long as I'm okay there, then God's going to be all right with me. And so I want, us to, I want to invite you to Romans 3. And that's where we're going to be pretty much the rest of the time. Romans 3, uh, starting at verse 9. And we're going to look at what Paul has to say to us about this. Because Paul is uh, talking to the Roman church. And the Roman church, just for some background, some context, is a very diverse church. It's full of a lot of Jews and Gentiles. And what I mean by Gentiles is just that that is everyone else that's not Jewish. And so um, that's who Paul is writing to. And first he's kind of addressing the Jewish community. where He says, starting in verse 9, what shall I conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And what he means by do we have any advantage in being Jewish? And he says, Not at all, for we have all made the charge that or we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have they have together become worthless. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What Paul is doing here is he's pulling from the Psalms mostly, uh, and that's verses 10 through 18. And these Psalms are really looking at the state of humanity, where are we at? Where our hearts been over the past, and where are we at today? And what Paul is doing is he's saying that's where we were back then, and got to be honest, that's where we are right now. And I got to say, now in 2020, this is still where we are at. We are totally corrupted. There's this idea of total depravity, and what that means is depravity means that uh, it's a moral corruptness or wickedness. It means that so uh, it means that we have a corruptness in our hearts. So Paul is looking and saying that's where humanity is still. No one is righteous, not even one. And the reason Paul is bringing this up is that he wants both people in this this, uh, community, the Jews and the Gentiles, to understand that everyone equally is a sinner. Everyone equally needs a Savior. Everyone equally has something wrong with them and they need something to change that. And that's what unifies them. See, we are still battling with this desire to be our own judge, to be our own judge, to say, this is right and this is wrong, just like Adam and Eve desired. We don't want to rely on God. We want to be able to say, no, I'm good enough, God. Just go ahead and let me in. But that's not the case. And that's why he he kind of shares that, verses 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, which is all of us, uh, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Every one of us, every nation. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight for the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What he's saying is everything in the Old Testament or the First Testament, uh, he wants us to understand everything that the prophets and all the teachers were talking about was simply to help us to understand that we had a problem. We were so far gone that when, if God were to come to us in Genesis 5 and say, you need to be righteous, we would have been like, I don't understand what that is. Please define that word for me. And he's like, I, it's going to take years. Right? It's going to take generations because you're not going to get it. You're so corrupted. It's going to take a while before you can even grasp what you lost in Genesis 3. And so that's what he has been doing from generation to generation. Teacher, prophet, each one was there to help us understand how far gone we were. But don't worry. It doesn't end there. It talks about in the fact in Romans 3, 21-26, uh, Paul is going to talk about this a little bit more. Give us the hope. But I want to pause there before we get to that. Because I think a lot of times we we all do this thing where we justify our own sin. We, we, we try to make excuses for our own sin. And I think sometimes we treat uh, sin as if it was almost like a personality trait. You know, uh, I'm just... I just got this thing, you know, just this little small sin in my life. And I know I should do something about it, but I don't know. I, I'm just going to kind of ignore that part. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be good everywhere else. You know, we make excuses. Well, well I'm young. I just, just kind of want to be doing this. You know, I'll just, when I'm young, I'll do this. And then when I get older, then I'll, then I'll commit. You know, I just want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend that we can do things together. And I know we shouldn't, but yeah, wh- whatever, it, it'll, it'll buff out in the end, right? Or, or we make excuses, well, boys will be boys, or that's just how girls are. Or we say, oh, well, this is just how I grew up, right? And that, that's kind of why I am this way. And we excuse our sins that are involved in our life for all a variety of reasons. And so what I want us to do is I want to think of our lives as if we were a container of water, like this picture right here. You know, picture, and, and, and picture that, you know, you're full of water, And a lot of us treat our lives as if when we sin, we're just adding some flavor to our water. Just a little sugar, a little coloring. You know, now we got Kool-Aid. You know, everyone loves Kool-Aid. Maybe we want to get fancy and we we slice up some fruit in there, some veggies and all that stuff. And it all float in there and it looks all nice and pretty. And we treat sin as if that's what uh, our life is like. We're just adding some flavor to our life. But what we need to understand is that is not what sin is. Sin is toxic. Sin is like taking the used motor oil in my house and uh, just dropping a few drops into this container. In fact, all it would take was one drop of used motor oil, and the whole container is contaminated. If, even if this was a, a whole couple gallons, the the toxicity of oil is one to one million. It means one drop to a million drops of water, it would corrupt that much. And so I want us to understand that's the toxicity of sin. That's what we're talking about. Just one drop of sin in our life corrupts us. Now this water that was, could be used to, to, to give life, to, to nourish our bodies, to, to nourish plants and grow crops, all these things that water could do, once we drop one drop of oil into it, it is no longer good for any of that. It's toxic. And that same thing applies to our life. When we try to do things without God and we have that sin in our life and we try to just let it stay there, we're toxic. But Again, let's go back to Romans 3.21, to that hope that Paul's going to bring to us. It says this, I want to I want to take that because Paul is a dense writer, right? You read Paul and you're like, "Wow, that was good." I have no idea what you just said, right? And I, sometimes when I'm reading a lot of Paul, I'm like, "Okay, I know that was great, but I have I need to slow it down, okay? Because you're saying a lot." And so I want to do that. I just kind of want to walk through this this passage here because he's saying such an ag- amazing thing, and really, it's the foundation of our belief. It says, "Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God had." Been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That's just what we've been talking about. The the law and the prophets are all sharing that we were lost. And it was waking us up to how lost we truly were. This righteousness that God has defined through those generations is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness that He's defined, God's defined for us, He now gives to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. This way, the the way that we can think of it is now our life, which is full of toxicity, full of oil, full of bad stuff. What God is doing is he's pouring out our junk and he's filling us back up with his holy living water. And he's allowing us to then share his love, his water with the people around us. And we are able to, to do good things now because of what Christ has done. He's empowered us. To do these things. It says there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter where you come from. I don't care about your your background. I don't care about your culture. I mean, I do because you guys are awesome, and God creates us all unique. But the one unifying thing, no matter where you go in the world, is the fact that we all need Jesus, every one of us. It doesn't matter where you come from in that sense, because we all equally need Jesus. And I want to say that, again, because I think sometimes we get this idea where we want to compare our sin with other people. We say, well, my container only has a little bit of sin in it. I only have a little bit of oil. Think about offering someone a drink that way, right? Don't go over there, not to them. There's this full of a lot of oil. I only have a little bit of oil in mine, right? You're still going to be like, no, no, pass. I don't want any of your poisonous water. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll take the pure stuff, right? I'll just go to the source. I'll just go to Jesus. That's where I want my drink from. Thank you very much. No, I don't need your toxic water. I'll take the good stuff, right? And so I want us to think about things that way. When sometimes in life, when we look at ourselves, we, we, what we're doing when we're trying to compare each other is we're comparing our oil to other people's oil. How ridiculous that sounds when we compare it that way. No. Everyone sins. Everyone falls short. So we all turn to God equally. We all need him to fill us up this is what he ends with. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood to receive by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of uh, his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross forgave everyone who had come before he was born that had faith in the Messiah to come. His death on the cross forgave everyone who was present at that time, and, and his death on the cross continues to ripple throughout time to forgive us today. So wherever you're at with God, wherever, however much oil's in the tank, I want to I want you to understand God wants to redeem you. All it takes is just saying, God, forgive me. Forgive my sins. Forgive what I've I've held on to. Forgive when I've wanted to be the judge. Forgive me for all this stuff I just allow to be in my life and, and start to renew me. And the truth is, it doesn't matter where you're at, because if you're just walking in fresh, brand new, uh, not not even really a believer yet coming in today or, or you've been around for 40, 50, 60 years as a believer, it, we all still have some oil that God needs to work on in our lives. And so we all need to have God constantly pouring into us and, and refreshing us and renewing us. And so he wants to do that today in our lives. It just takes you being willing to give it over to God and saying, God, be Lord over my life in this section as well oh, the, the, the amazing things that he can do with our life when we let him fill our tank, when he, we let him pour us out and continue to pour in. The lives that can be changed, the legacies that can be changed, the families that can be renewed, God does amazing things when we give over everything to him. So let's pray and ask God to do just that. God, I thank you so much that you're not done with us. No matter where we're at on that track of life with you, God, that you are wanting to do new things each and every day. And God, I confess right now of my own toxicity in my own life, God, and I pray that each person here would be willing to do that as well, to say, God, I need more of you and less of me. God, that you would, you would remove those things that I've allowed to live in my life, the things that uh, I thought were cute and just, yeah, just a little bad for me. God, that you would, you would take those things away from me and, and make me look more righteous and more like you, Jesus. God, cleanse my heart and my soul. God, I thank you that you have not given up on us. But you've been patient. You've been waiting And God, I pray that people would find new hope in you today, God. Jesus, I thank you for your work on the cross. That you lived a perfect life and then gave it up so that we can live a new life in you. And three days later, you did not stay dead, God. You you rose from the dead as we celebrated just last week. And we celebrate that today and the rest of our life, God. That we would remember that you are alive and well. Help us to live in that same way, alive and well, thanks to your work, Jesus. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.